the five kings of the Amorites camped at Gibeon and made war against them. Now, this was a problem because Gibeon had made a covenant with Israel. We're going to talk about that in about five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. And on this program, we go through the Bible. This is our 33rd year. Uh, very, very exciting. And uh, Corey is here with Ryan to help us, Corey. I am. Today we are going to be taking a look at the city of Hatsor because we hear about a king of Hatsor in our assigned reading. Ryan? Today I'm doing a study about the mysterious long day of Joshua recorded in Joshua chapter 10. What really happened that day? Very interesting, Ryan. We'll get to them in about 20 minutes' time, about 25 minutes. Janice. God is with us. That's the title of my segment today. All right, so get your Bible guide out, turn to today's passage, and when we look at the Bible, we're looking at God's Word. So let's understand what he's saying to us today. Joshua 10, 1 through 11. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. As he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king. And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. For I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. 
Joshua 9, Joshua 10, Joshua 11, three chapters here in this book. This is an amazing book. Now, one of the stunning realities of the Bible is the way wars were fought and won by ancient nation of Israel. God was with Israel as they kept themselves aligned with him. And God is even seen fighting for Israel. In our reading today, we see the pagan king of Jerusalem, but this isn't the first time that we've come across Jerusalem in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, referring to a city as Salem. Now, Genesis 14, 18 says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God, the Most High. It is believed that Salem was the ancient name of Jerusalem, partly because of what Psalm 76, 2 says. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Zion and Salem are the same place. And the temple of God was eventually built there in the time of Joshua. Jerusalem was not an Israelite city, and its king, Adonai Zedek, gathered four other kings and attacked Gibeon, the men who had tricked Israel into making a covenant of peace with them. It was still a covenant. And as Israel honored their agreement, God helped them to defeat the coalition. Fascinating. Now take your Bible guide and turn to it today because this is something else. And as we look at this, we begin to understand a couple of interesting items. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we'll send it to you. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And then it'll take you to the place where you can download it exactly how we've printed it. And uh, you can be a part of it. But Father, today, we pray that you would help us because we're going to see some things. And the first part of the sun standing still and all of this we're going to read today. We're not going to get into the sun standing still, but Lord, we're going to read the first part because it's important. Help us to see how your spirit works. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Now, here's what the scripture says in Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Now it came to pass. When Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city. Like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jermuth, and Jaffa, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. This is fascinating. Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, knew the impact of Israel's covenant with Gibeon. They knew it. Those who come into peace with true followers of Christ do well because God is with them. I want to tell you something. If you want peace... 
then you are you should be at peace with the true followers of Christ. If you don't want peace, create trouble for them. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to comment on it. That's what I'm going to say because that's what the Bible says. We have to be careful with that and really pay attention to it. And that's exactly what happens. Now, let's go on to Joshua 10 verse 5. Here's what it says. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up as and they and all their armies and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. All right, this is the problem. The five kings of the Amorites camped at Gibeon and made war against them. Beloved, true Christians do not make deals with the devil. We move according to the Holy Spirit. Let me say, Joshua didn't pray about this, but he made a covenant with the Gibeonites, which committed Israel to protect them. And these kings, they fought and destroyed and started taking out the Gibeonites. Let me tell you something. Israel had no choice. They had to make a move. Beloved, we need to make covenants with people that God tells us to, not that we think we should. There's a difference between a good idea or a God idea and a rod idea. Let me tell you, I've heard that and I've lived it and I've got scars because of it. I need to make sure that my covenants follow God's idea and not Rod's idea. And you should probably do the same too. I would recommend that highly. So we need to keep it in control of all the ideas and the things we like to do. All right. Let's go on and read more in chapter 10, verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua, there they go, at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. For I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azak and Mekadai. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent, Beth Horon, the Lord cast, look at this now, the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azka, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. This is fascinating. This is because of the covenant they made. God chose to eliminate the people who rebelled against Israel with stones from the sky. That's amazing. You see, God always helps us win the battles if we just do what the Lord commands. If we just do what the Lord commands. The Lord says to us, there's ways you should act. There's ways you should respond to people. There's ways, and, and we're, I'm trying my best to live that. And I recommend that everybody who is a called a Christian should do the same. I'm trying my best to live it, and to act that out and to react and change my heart, Lord Jesus. 
because that is the way that we become one with God. Now, God has already saved us. Praise God for that. But we become one with God when we begin to respond to his commands and we begin to respond to his ways in our businesses, in our daily lives, in where we work and how we do things. Beloved, we need to become more like Jesus Christ, don't we? So, Father, help us to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So covered in our assigned Bible reading today is Joshua chapter 11. And at the beginning of this chapter, we're introduced to a pagan king who is named Jabin, and we're told that he is king of the city of Hatsor. Now, it turns out that Hatsor was a very important city here at this time period of the Israelite conquest of Canaan. So let's take a look at Hatsor the city, and we'll talk about it when we come back. The ancient city of Hatsor was located just north of the Sea of Galilee. Its first mention in the Bible comes in Joshua chapter 11. Jabin, the king of Hatsor, gathered together an alliance of multiple kings and their fighting men to resist the Israelites. Hatsor was the head of a major Canaanite coalition. The Bible records Israel's utter victory over this coalition, how they chased them all the way up to Sidon area, killing all that they caught, and then how they captured the allied cities, killing their kings, but leaving the cities themselves standing. All except for Hatsor. Hatsor was captured, the king killed, and the city completely razed. The head of the enemy alliance became a signal fire. Later on in the Bible, another leader of Israel had to face an enemy in Hatsor. This time, the judge Deborah led the Israelites in battle against another Jabin, king of Hatsor, and his army commander Sisera. Once again, the Israelites were successful in defeating Hatsor. Hatsor was eventually rebuilt by King Solomon as an Israelite defensive city. A few generations later, it was captured by Assyria, and Jeremiah prophesied that it would be destroyed completely by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Extensive archaeological work has gone on at Hatsor. Its upper tell boasts an ancient acropolis of 30 acres that from a bird's eye view looks bottle-shaped. Remnants to the Israelite city of Solomon that flourished for about 200 years include fortifications, a tower, homes, a water system, and a six-chambered gate. Under the Israelite city was found evidence of the old Canaanite city. Some of the finds include Canaanite temples, a section of the city wall, its corresponding moat, several Egyptian statues, a monumental staircase, and a large ceremonial palace. All experts agree that this Canaanite city was destroyed and set on fire. A thick layer of ancient ash attests to it. 
Inside the palace, whose walls still stand six and a half feet high, the ferocity of the fire was discovered based off of melted clay vessels and vitrified mud bricks, that is, mud bricks that have begun to transform into glass. The current excavator has determined that the fire was twice the temperature of a regular fire, likely due to its wooden building materials and storerooms of nearly a thousand gallons of oil. The palace also yielded a few statues, a jewelry box, weapons, and a lion-shaped ceremonial drinking cup. Peculiar to this destruction of Hatsor is that the targeted areas were public and religious buildings, and that the destroyers purposefully disfigured images and statues of kings and gods. This perfectly aligns with the destruction by the Israelites, as outlined in the Bible. Most scholars align it with the destruction by Joshua, but based off of the date of about 1250 BC, this would align it well with the destruction by Deborah and Barak. All right, so there we go. Uh, really interesting stuff learning about the archaeological discoveries surrounding this ancient city of Hetzor and its discovery and identification, all that good stuff. Now, just a note here again, as we continue reading through the Old Testament in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter four, we're gonna come across another king of Hetzor named Jabin. It is not the same king. A lot of times what would happen in these city-states and even in larger empires and, and um, countries is that kings would have dynastic names. So uh, a grandfather would be named, say, Jabin, and then his son, would, would, when he came to the throne, he would also take the throne name Jabin and so on and so forth until there would be a dynasty change. So don't get confused here between Joshua chapter 11 and Judges chapter 4. It is the same name, it is the same city, but should be understood as a different king. Yeah, it's really important to understand that there were kings and there were lines of kings that were all, like, for example, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was always called Pharaoh, but mm -hmm. the names were actually different. But they mm -hmm. called them that because yeah, and Pharaohs their... even took like when you look into Egyptology, Pharaohs took dynastic throne names as well. So it would be Pharaoh. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's three Tutmoses and and things of that nature. Very so, yeah, very they would take interesting. A throne name as well. Excellent. Okay, Ryan. All right. Well, today I'm focused on Joshua chapter 10, where we read the fascinating account of what many refer to as Joshua's long day. And not surprisingly, there are a lot of theories as to what actually happened that day. Was it a supernatural event in which the earth perhaps stopped rotating? Or was it some kind of a natural phenomenon like a solar eclipse, cloud cover, or some sort of weird refraction effect? Well, a natural and straightforward reading of this passage indicates that what happened that day wasn't at all normal. And so my question today is, what if the Earth did stop rotating for about a day and then resumed its rotation? What would be required for something like that to happen? Well, let's try to find out. There are many strange and unusual events recorded in the Bible not the least of which is the long day of Joshua during Israel's military campaign through Canaan. In Joshua 10:12, he makes this command, Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Based upon a straightforward reading of this account, the event described here is clearly not natural, but rather supernatural. This understanding has led to the very common explanation that the Earth halted its rotation for about a day and then resumed rotation. One scientist explains the requirements and problems to overcome in order for such a miracle to occur. 
The Earth is a spinning body, he says, and spinning bodies possess kinetic energy, and the Earth's kinetic energy is considerable. To bring the Earth's rotation to a stop requires removing that kinetic energy. This could be done by applying a torque to the spinning Earth, acting as a brake. Application of a braking torque takes time. Furthermore, a brake must convert the kinetic energy to some other form of energy, usually heat. Then, after the battle was completed, the Earth began spinning again, which would have required time and an accelerating torque to reinvigorate the Earth with kinetic energy. But another physical principle is also involved. Moving objects possess a quantity called momentum. Dissipating the Earth's rotation required loss of angular momentum that would have transferred to the object providing the braking torque. In a similar manner, returning the Earth's spin afterward would have required the addition of angular momentum. Furthermore, objects on the surface of the Earth are spinning around the Earth's axis of rotation. People on the battlefield that day were moving nearly 900 miles per hour toward the east. When the Earth suddenly stopped rotating, those people and everything else on the surface of the Earth would have continued moving eastward, so they would have appeared to suddenly begin moving nearly 900 miles per hour across the Earth's surface. Even a gradual slowing in the Earth's rotation would have produced a noticeable push to the east. In a comparable manner, when the Earth's spin was returned, people and objects on the Earth's surface would experience a push with respect to the Earth's surface, this time to the west. To avoid this, God would have had to have applied the same change to people and objects on the Earth's surface that he applied to the Earth itself. Because of the numerous physical issues surrounding a change in Earth's rotation, many have attempted to explain this incredible event as either some kind of natural phenomenon, such as a total solar eclipse, cloud cover, or some sort of a strange refraction effect, or else as mere poetic hyperbole. Yet as believers, we need to remember the declaration that the prophet Jeremiah made. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Indeed, a God who can create the universe, cause a virgin to conceive, and raise the dead can certainly also accomplish this. Okay, so I've had some people make comments about this particular segment, saying that it's not scientifically possible that the Earth could have stopped rotating. But unfortunately, they've missed the whole point that I was trying to make, which is that God can do the impossible. That's what makes it a miracle. And for an all-powerful God, a miracle like this is nothing. I mean, he created the universe, so what could possibly stop him from manipulating it? Now, it's true that sometimes God works within the normal parameters of nature, which he set in place. We call those scientific laws. But at other times, he clearly works outside of those parameters, as is the case here. Yeah, that's really important to remember that God can do miracles and he can, he did a miracle at the beginning. He's done miracles throughout time. And so he could do a miracle. He's the one who created the laws and effects. Yeah, 100 fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for your reports. Janice? So we see that the sun stood still. This is a miracle. It doesn't happen every day. That's for sure. And that's why I titled my segment today, God is with us. Because we take a look, we've got these five kings coming against Gibeon. And so the men of Gibeon get in touch with Joshua. 
to come and help them. And God speaks to Joshua. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgal. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. Now, remember back in Exodus chapter 14, verses 24 and 25, how God put Pharaoh's army in an upset. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us Flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. What is my point today? That as children of God here on this side, still yet today, God fights for us in ways that we can't understand or that we can even think is possible. Things that we could never dream of and things sometimes God rescues us from things we don't even know that we need rescue from. That is how faithful and how merciful our God is. And yet sometimes the situations that we are in seem hopeless. They seem impossible to escape. They're frightening. And yet God tells us, do not fear. We're to call upon his name and depend on his rescue. And that's easy for me to sit in this spot today in a good place and declare that. But I'll tell you, when you look and you live and have relationship with God, as that relationship grows, you see his faithfulness in your life. And some of the most desperate situations we still have to go through, but we know that God is with us and he will help to get us through that and we will be stronger somehow some way god can turn that around and for his glory but for our good so what we need to do is we need to seek after god we need to live for him no matter how bad it looks or feel feels at times he is with us he will be with us just like he was with the army of Israel, with the men of Gibeon, with the Israelites as they were getting ready to cross the Red Sea. Who would have ever imagined that God would take the, what stood between them and the army that they feared so greatly, approaching them with nowhere to go, that God would just divide that sea and they would walk through on, on dry ground. Who would ever imagine? But God knows. God holds our futures in his hand. He is our God and we need to learn to depend and trust on him. And the way we do that is just like any relationship. We have to have that relationship. Be in his word, spend time in prayer with the Lord. It's so, so important because God is with us. You know, if you go to the store and buy a Roku box for your TV, you can watch us 24-7 if you want to. Uh, 
free of charge anytime, takes the internet, puts it on your TV. It's called the Roku, R-O-K-U box. And uh, it's very interesting. A lot of people are using that today, so I want to encourage you to consider it. Today, let's pray and say this, Father, I need your help to realign my thoughts and my life with how you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.